As you're taking your seats, if you would, please take a copy of God's Word and turn to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm number 1. If you're wondering, we will return to Isaiah in uh, a couple of weeks with uh, myself and other staff out of town. We've been taking a little break. Isaiah's pretty intense. Maybe that was needed. Um, But uh, nonetheless, we will return to that soon. At the same time, I'll just mention briefly uh, Psalm 1, one of... One of my favorite psalms, Um, and uh, one of the reasons we're looking at that instead of Isaiah this morning, uh, with our congregational meeting today, I used to do a state of the church address at the meeting itself uh, a couple years ago with two services. We we decided I'd do a state of the church sermon, uh, which is a bit more of a topical approach uh, than I normally do. Um, One of my professors used to joke in seminary, preach one topical sermon a year and then immediately repent. And, um, and so um, I've, I've, it's actually, this is my second for the year. So, uh, you know, we'll hopefully all be okay with that. Um, without further ado, we're going to look at Psalm 1 this morning. We'll be back in Isaiah in a few weeks. Psalm 1, hear now the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Thus ends the reading of God's word, and he add his blessings to it. Some of you get nervous when I almost forget to say this on some Sundays, but the grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray, let's ask his blessings on this passage. God be with us. God, speak to us, Lord, for your servants are listening. This we pray in Christ's name. What can the blessed man of Psalm 1 teach us about 2021, about the year that we have ahead of us until the next State of the Church sermon? I think he can teach us a lot. What to say yes to, what to say no to, what to expect, what to hope for. What is the secret of a blessed life? And what does all of this, what does all of this ancient word ever true say to us in 2021? Let's dive right in. The first thing we see is the blessed man's don'ts. The blessed man's don'ts. See this in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. There are things that the blessed man does not do. The psalmist, whoever he was, he spent the entire first verse describing the blessed man's don'ts, his no's. I just got done reading a book. No is a beautiful word. The author's point is that every yes is a no, and every no is a potential yes to something else. Now, I don't like saying no. I'm a people pleaser who had to learn how to do that over time. However, saying no is biblical Titus 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, 
bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The whole book of Titus is great, especially the next two verses after that as well. But what is he talking about there? He says, the grace of God, it teaches you to say yes to certain things, but it also teaches you to say no, to renounce ungodliness, to say no to ungodliness, saying no to certain things so that we can say yes to others. The blessed man, he says no. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. His most central advice does not come from the ungodly. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. Because of that first no, he does not regularly take part in sinful actions. Finally, he does not sit in the seat of scoffers. Because of those first two no's, he is not seated. He's not settled into ungodliness to the point where he would scoff with irreverence at the holy things of God. He says no to anything that leads down this road, this progression, and it is a progression of ungodly activities. He may have non-Christian friends. In fact, he should. But his friendship is characterized at times by respectful no's when they ask him to participate in certain things that go against what he believes. If you don't know how to say a respectful no, then read that book I mentioned earlier. No is a beautiful word. He says no so that he can say yes to something better. And that leads us secondly to the blessed man's delight. The blessed man's delight. Verse 2. His delight, his, his, uh, the blessed man does not do certain things, but verse 2 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. When he can't sleep at night, he meditates upon God's word until he can. It's his delight, his excitement. When I'm restless, I find the Lord's prayer, Psalm 23, even Psalm 1. That's, that's what I think of. Until I can make those promises of God click in my brain. Until I can see his sovereignty and his goodness properly amidst the mess of life. And the point here is not that Christians are gritty and tough and disciplined and we just we think about these things and the power of positive thinking and the point is not that we are Christians because we're gritty and tough and disciplined. The point is if you are a Christian, if you are born again, not because of your own works, but because of the grace of God that opened your eyes to the truth, if you know this is true of you, then you will want more and more of God's Word. You will begin to meditate on it more and more, to delight in it. Maybe not 24-7. That's not exactly what day and night means. But it does mean that godly thoughts begin to occupy your daydreams more and more. Because more and more you realize that this truth, the truth contained in God's Word, it's the best truth there is. The best truth ever. And that's what the law of the Lord is. Now that word law is Torah in Hebrew. Law is a proper translation, but even the little footnote in my ESV, it says that instruction is also a good translation too. The blessed man, he says, no to ungodliness so that he can say yes to his true delight, the law of the Lord, the instruction and teaching and wisdom of God's word. Don't you want to be like this blessed man? If not, 
not yet, maybe, then listen to as well his expectations, his hopes, his desires. Third point this morning, the blessed man's expectation. The blessed man's expectation. See that in verses 3 and 4. In verse 3, it says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. What does the psalmist expect for for the kind of man who delights, or woman, who delights in God's law? What does he expect will happen? He expects that he will be like a tree, firm, strong, planted by streams of water, getting all the nutrients he needs. That's probably a metaphor for the blessed man's daily meditation upon God's Word. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness, water, food, clothing, shelter, and the Word. Like a tree, he says, that yields its fruit in its season. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say every season. It doesn't say daily fruit. You are not guaranteed a moment every day when you will say, I am so glad that I conquered this sin decisively. I did this amazing thing so that I know without a shadow of a doubt that I am a Christian who is growing steadily Day by day by day by day. Now you should be growing steadily. But it doesn't say that you will always have that realization. It doesn't say that you will always have that moment when you just feel it in your bones. It says fruit in its season. There may be seasons where the main thing God does is prune you for future fruitfulness. I'm not much of a gardener. Some of you know the good of pruning for future fruitfulness. Seasons where you die to yourself so that you can later bear fruit, live more and more under righteousness. Let me say this, if you never bear fruit as a Christian, beware. It's a sign of trouble. But if you haven't borne as much fruit as you like, be patient with yourself and with your God. And don't be afraid in the midst of those patient seasons where there's not as much fruit as you want. Don't be afraid to pray the promises of God back to God. Don't be afraid to say, God, I am trying. I need you to help me bear fruit in my proper time. I need enough fruit, enough evidence to avoid despair and discouragement right now. The blessed man is like a tree, yielding fruit in season. But what does that imply? It implies that winter sometimes comes. But winter doesn't win. Winter doesn't defeat this man's soul. Notice what else it says. It's leaf, the tree's leaf, the blessed man's leaf. Its leaf does not wither. That may not sound splashy and fabulous to you, but... Who said that Christianity, who said that this life was splashy and wonderful all the time? (laughs) Who said there was anything wrong with mundane faithfulness in this life? I've told this story before. One of my old professors whose sermons I still listen to regularly, I think he was recounting how friends, even fellow ministers, had fallen away from, from the faith, left the ministry. And he said, I used to want to be as holy as possible. 
And now sometimes I just want to make it to heaven without embarrassing myself or my God. Now he still wants to be holy. Understand that. And you should want that too. But fighting the good fight, keeping the faith, finishing the race, that's not so bad either, is it? You still get a crown of righteousness for that. His leaf does not wither, it says. And finally, it says, all that he does prospers. I have two coffee mugs with Psalm 1, specifically with Psalm 1, verse 3, written on them. Plus a, another piece of art in my home office at home. What, why two mugs for one Bible verse? Well, the first one is cracked, and I can't bear to throw it away. Years ago, it was a pastor appreciation gift. Thank you, Brittany and Cindy. And the following year ended up being one of my hardest years. Sometimes all I could do was stare at that mug in these words, all that he does prospers. God, you said I would prosper. And yes, Joseph prospers in Genesis as he is sold into slavery and falsely imprisoned. Yes, yes, true enough. But Joseph's story eventually turns around, God. <laughs> and I need to know and see and taste that you're going to turn my story around too. Now, God does not promise us eternal summer. Every day is not a day at the beach, but praise God for the ones that are. But he does not promise us eternal winter either. Because Aslan is on the move. Our leaves will not wither. We will bear fruit when it's time. And we will prosper. God says so. And that's what we cling to when winter seems to last too long. When the dark night of the soul threatens us with despair. That's what we cling to. Even if you need two coffee mugs for one Bible verse, you do what you have to do to remember the important things. Because this expectation, it's also tied to our final end, our destiny. And that's our fourth point. The blessed man's destiny in verses 4 through 6. I won't spend long here. <clears throat> Bottom line, the blessed man's destiny, it's a whole lot better than the wicked man's destiny. Verse 4 says, the wicked are not so not like trees, not rooted in God's word, not prospering by God's grace. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. They're like those tumbleweeds that used to blow through our outdoor services last summer. Light, easily blown away. Verse 5 says, The wicked will not stand in the judgment. Now we will all be judged but only those who are blessed in Christ Jesus, who take refuge in Christ Jesus, can withstand that judgment. In Psalm 2 terms, only those who take refuge in Him can stand the judgment. Verse 6, the Lord knows His own. That implies a relationship, not just knowledge. I know who they are. I know facts about them. But the wicked, it says, will perish. You might say, why? Why are the wicked wicked and why are the blessed blessed? Why are the righteous righteous? What's so special about the blessed man? Is it his hard work? Is it because he does good things? Well, not exactly. And that leads us to the blessed man's secret. That's our fifth point. The blessed man's secret. There's no verse reference here. Because you see, this is what is assumed throughout the Psalms. Throughout all of Scripture, when it talks about the blessed or the righteous versus the wicked, 
It's what we talked about during our confession of sin this morning. Psalm 32, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. As you have time later, I'd recommend looking at verses 5 and verse 10 as well. But you see, the blessing of God is knowing that you are wicked and sinful, but that God has covered your sin. How can that be? Well, the simple answer is Jesus. The more technical answer is 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. No one becomes the blessed man by their works, by what you do, is by the work, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we become blessed, by the work of the Holy Spirit who breathes new life into our dead hearts and minds. The secret is that anyone can be the blessed man if they take refuge in God, in God's Son, who bore the wrath and punishment that we deserved, that we all deserve. That's when you become blessed by God's grace. And when you become blessed, you will want more and more to be like this man. And you will be more and more like this man. By God's Spirit, who so powerfully works within you. That leads to my final point. I'll just warn you, it's also my longest point this morning. And that is the blessed man's lesson for us. That's point number six this morning. The blessed man's lesson for us. I think the main lesson is this. No matter what you do this year, be a Psalm 1, 1 and 2 kind of man and woman. And know that God will prosper you like Psalm 1, 3 says. Be content to be an ordinary Christian who goes through good seasons and bad seasons, who keeps saying no to ungodliness, who keeps saying yes to godliness, who knows that your good God will prosper you in due time. Now that's an individual lesson. What about a church-wide lesson? I normally try to talk about emphasis for the year in our state of the church sermon, but you know, this, this year is different. Not quite as different as last year, but still different. It doesn't feel to me like a year for big, bold predictions and promises. Instead, I promise this. I promise to be a Psalm 1 kind of pastor. And that I will try to lead us to be a Psalm 1 kind of church. We'll say no to certain things. Things that are lower priorities. Things that are ungodly. Both of those. We'll say no. That does not mean we will be defined by all of our no's. That does not mean we will be defined by what makes us angry on any given day. We will also say yes to godliness. Say yes to glorifying God and making disciples. Our mission as a church, as it says on our bulletin, And we will cling to God's promises because it's what we need. Because it's what brings Him glory when we do it. We'll not catastrophize every bit of bad news. We will trust that God will prosper us. We will trust that God will make us bear fruit, protecting us through those spiritual winters, protecting us ultimately from eternal winter. Later, we are going to hear at our congregational meeting some ministry reports. Hope you can join us for that. Uh, Only 
communing members can vote, but anyone can attend, especially if you RSVP'd for the lunch there. But my challenge to all of our ministry teams is that you seek to be a Psalm 1 kind of ministry team this year, faithful with what God provides, hopeful in God's prospering, confident in God's ultimate protection. And I hope we can all give thanks for the ways that God is providing and prospering us. Our youth are well-led by Pastor Kurt and a team of volunteers. Our women's Bible study, the other women's ministries, were faithful to meet in person and on Zoom for this past year. Way to go with all of that. Our KCMT, Koinonia Connection Ministry Team. Koinonia is the Greek word for fellowship, by the way. They have been faithfully providing avenues for church-wide fellowship, especially lately. Um, Lawn day got changed to carpet day, as you heard there. That'll have to be moved indoors, but great job they've been doing. God is raising up new deacons and elders of all ages, we might add. Sunday mornings are more normal than they've been in a while. And thank you to all of you who've made that possible. Nursery workers, children's church workers, and more. Worship team greeters, Sunday school teachers, helpers. For all ages, I'm sure I'm leaving someone out. There's been so much work that's been put into that, and we're grateful for it. We'll also hear a report about the church plant later at the meeting. God has allowed us to raise up a church plant during a pandemic. Praise the Lord for that. And we've even drawn up plans for another church plant down the road. That may take some time, but I know that Pastor Steve and myself loved meeting with the other team members who helped with that plan. Harry Seidel, Elder Bartle DeLue, Joan Funky, Paula Randall, Jill Bogenschutz, Deacon Steve Johnson. We sat down and said, years from now, whether it's a year, whether it's more years, what, what would the next church plant look like? All of those are reasons to give thanks. Now, we have plenty of opportunities to rebuild certain ministries too. Some of that's ongoing right now. Many of our small groups and Bible studies kept meeting in the past year. We know that we're due, even overdue, to check in on some of those groups. There are probably other things that need some work. But I, again, I encourage all of us to take a Psalm 1 approach to all this. Faithful with what God provides, hopeful in God's prospering, confident in God's ultimate protection. That's the blessed man's lesson to us, and I think it has two final applications. The first one is about generosity, our finances. Now, our finances could be better. They have been better before. This year was not a record year for us like the previous year was, but God has been faithful. Our our leaf has not withered. Do we need your help in that? Yes, we always do. If you were waiting to give more because you're waiting out the pandemic and its economic disruptions, building up emergency funds, well, well, maybe it's time. If you're holding back, it would be good for us to know what normal giving looks like for the church collectively. Right now, our budget is conservative for the upcoming year. No radical plans, just the basics, conservative estimates for future giving. If giving picks back up, we'll be even better. Then we can begin to dream a little, give thanks to God and His generous people. Forestgate.org slash give has some biblical principles about giving as well as instructions to give regularly if you aren't already doing that. If you want, you can set up a recurring electronic gift. Set it and forget it, as they say. If you're prone to forget that weekly or monthly practice of giving. Or if you like 
that regular spiritual discipline of writing a check, clicking the keys on your phone or your computer, then do that. Some of you give to other organizations as well. You might wonder how much of your giving should go to your local church. To that, I'll simply say this. If members of a local church don't give, who else will? It's not like churches have other customers, other revenue sources. We simply have a faithful God who moves the hearts of his people to give cheerfully. Now, the second application I have about all of this is about what I'll call mundane faithfulness in service, volunteering in any number of various ways. Now, two weeks ago, we restored nursery during the Sunday school hour. Way to go with that. Our next goals are nursery and children's church during our second service at 11 a.m. God will provide that in time, we believe, but if you're not serving in one of those ways, or even if you are, don't underestimate the missional potential of serving children. What do I mean by that? Well, nursery and children's church are not simply conveniences and comforts for tired parents. They have the potential to make disciples for Christ, and not simply between the ages of newborn and age six. For example, if we have nursery during Sunday school, which we now do, it allows parents with small kids more options to come and hear solid Sunday school material, like a parenting class that's coming up in about a month. If we have nursery during second service, it may provide the kind of first impression that tells our first-time visitors that we care about them, want to serve them, and allow them some rest when they worship. Now, a fun story about a negative impression. Uh, when I pastored in Mississippi, we were on vacation one Sunday in Florida, and through a weird series of events, we were turned away from the nursery at a local church in Florida there. They were overflowing. We said something polite, and their answer was not what we expected. And we were both people pleasers, and, and so we said, uh, okay, okay. We, we sat through the service. We figured it out with a wiggly child, as some people choose to do on, on many Sundays. I don't want to make it sound like we're martyrs for Christ because of all that. But, but when we got home, we went straight to the nursery people at the church where I served, and we said, please don't ever let this happen to someone else. <laughs> what I'm trying to say in all this is this. Your service in the nursery or some other ministry, it's not simply about that activity. You are a cog in the grand machine that is the church. One body, many parts. And if your service in the nursery or at the greeting table or someone else helps a first-time visitor connect at Forest Gate, then it might be the first step to them attending Bible study, beginning to understand God's Word better. The first step to their kids attending Sunday school where they learn that Jesus loves me because the Bible tells me so. The first step towards them having a shepherding elder. Our elders do a great job of this. A shepherding elder who loves them enough to call them, ask them hard, loving questions at times. The first step toward a pastor or an elder making a hospital visit, walking with them through the challenges of life, helping them to understand how to walk by faith. All of these things, and we could name a hundred more first steps and possibilities. One life of mundane faithfulness assisting another believer in the same walk of faithfulness. A chance for the church 
to bear its fruit in its season. Yes, the church. What is the church except a group of blessed people? Happy people who have received God's undeserved blessings. Walking together in faithfulness. Now as we close, the blessed man of Psalm 1, he doesn't tell us how God will prosper us exactly. He doesn't tell us when God will prosper us exactly. How soon, how much, we don't know. But we know that his blessings are undeserved. We know that his blessings are assured. All that he does will prosper. And so my prayer is that all this makes us want to be Psalm 1 Christians in whatever we do. Faithful with what God provides. Hopeful in God's prospering. Confident in God's ultimate protection. Again, in all that he does, he prospers. May that be true of me. May that be true of all of us. May God make it so. Let us pray. God, you are good. And what you do is good. Oh, Father, we we ask that you would help us to know that your law, your instruction... It is not meant to stifle our creativity. It is not meant to be a straitjacket around us. It is a path that leads to blessing. It is the way you intended life to be. It is not simply a law. It is instruction. It is wisdom. It is your good word for us, your people. You who have given us everything we need for life and godliness. So Father, as we continue this walk of faithfulness, Would you remind us that as often as we walk in your ways, every day we do that, your mercies will be made new for us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.